but good morning again. Um, it's just it's good to be here with you guys. I'd rather just sit down and listen, but the Lord is going to speak to us, I hope, and I pray, and I'm just glad to be able to be a part of that with everyone here. Um, but today we're in Acts 13. We're picking up our study um, in the book of Acts. Um, and the title of today's message is No Corruption. No Corruption. Um, and again, I think I might give it a subtitle of um, Exalted Strangers. But really, the focus, I think, even if we don't talk about it too much through the message, is, is No Corruption. Uh, we're going to pick it up in the 13th verse today, but before we do that, uh, last time we saw that there were directions given directly by the Holy Spirit to separate Paul and Barnabas unto himself, that this call to the missionary uh, field, to the missionary journeys, um, was not a task, so to speak, given to Paul and Barnabas, but it was God calling Paul and Barnabas unto himself to come be with the Holy Spirit, to come, hey, these guys are mine, let's go and do what I want to do. We saw the first missionary journey began. They bumped into a false prophet, uh, a Jewish sorcerer named uh, Bar-Jesus, uh, or Elymas uh, was a translated name. Uh, we saw that there were true consequences in this man's life because as Paul uh, rebuked him as the son of the devil, that this is what this guy was. He was living as the son of the devil, even though he had Bar-Jesus as a name. And the consequences were that he was blinded for a time, that as he was spiritually blinded, his spiritual blindness was so bad that real blindness had to come upon him to really kind of, one, get his attention, but two, get him out of the way that this other guy who was seeking to believe would believe. Um, we saw belief and astonishment from that uh, the guy who did come to faith, the proconsul, the Roman official who was astonished and very intelligent, but he saw that there was a reality to this faith. He saw that there was a reality to the gospel that was shared, and he knew it was unlike anything else. You know, coming from that Roman culture, um, you know, it was a very religious culture, but he knew that there was a difference, that there was a truth here, and he came to faith in that. Um, but this time, we're going to look at Paul and Barnabas. We're going to see as they continue on on their missionary journey, they go to a couple different places, um, but they're still out there going synagogue to synagogue. You know, I wrote down, they're still synagoguing. They're still doing their thing. They're still going every Saturday to synagogue to meet with the Jews, to, to have an opportunity to share uh, with the Jews. And we find uh, that they're going to have an open door, an open invitation to share based on the, the culture of the day of the synagogue where you could share um, the word. Um, but they were looking for that. But we're going to see that uh, really the word of God, in a sense, in the Jews' mind, um, at, the, at least in this area, uh, they really scorned it, and they really turned from it, and they uh, they really burned a bridge, so to speak. And, and, you know, sometimes when we go out and we share the gospel, we feel burned. Sometimes when we share with our family or pray for our family, we feel really burned. And um, God wouldn't always tell us to turn and go a different way, but we're going to see that this marked the time for, for them to change directions. But as we get into our study, no questions today to start out. I'm just going to read Luke uh, chapter 14, 16 through 24. Luke 14, 16 through 24. It says, Then Jesus said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. And I ask that you have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I asked that you have me excused. So another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And those of us who are married understand that. <laughs> Just kidding. But so that the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. And still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. That is, Jesus is giving this parable, this story of what God is really doing, inviting people to heaven. And people come up with all sorts of excuses. I mean, the, the fact that they're invited to this major party, this party of a very wealthy man and they say no they come up with excuses is kind of out there i mean uh we had our work you know quote unquote holiday party last week 
and it was a good time, but I wasn't feeling well. So after uh, a couple hours of being there, I left early because I was getting dizzy and lightheaded and sick. I had this cold and sinus infection going on. Uh, I felt kind of bad about it, but I couldn't just sit there. But I think sometimes, um, you know, we make excuses to not go to certain things that, you know, maybe we don't really want to go to. Uh, we come up with excuses uh, for things that are really good for us, but we don't want anything to do with. And here we see that that's what people do. They come up with all sorts of crazy excuses not to be uh, involved in this wonderful event. And what does the master do? He goes out and invites people. He goes and finds anyone on the street. And then, so they do that. And there's still not enough room. There's still not every seat is full. So he says, okay, go grab the guys that are hiding in the bushes. Go, go grab the drunk guy, you know, behind Walmart. Bring everybody in here because I want my seats to be filled. But man, those first people that I invited, that I extended the invite to first and they shunned it, well, they're not going to taste my supper. They're not going to get it. I'm going to make sure that there's no leftovers. That they can't come and show up fashionably late and get anything because uh, they missed out. And, and Lord, this morning, may that not be us, that God, when you call us to, to go somewhere or, or be a part of something, uh, whether it's the mission field or whether it's um, going to a work party or whether it's going to um, just spend time with you uh, at some point during the day. God, may we not miss out on that. May we not find an excuse that, uh, oh, I have to go do this other thing that really, Lord, as we saw last week, is not the most important thing. So, God, may you be the most important one in our lives this morning and always. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's pick it up in verse uh, 13 of Acts chapter 13, and we're going to read the uh, three verses to start off together. Uh, verse 13 says, Now when Paul and his party set out from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and meant, uh, motioning with his hand, he said, uh, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, listen. Uh, and we'll stop there for right now. We'll get into his message in a minute. But we see here that uh, it starts out being Paul and his party. It's kind of interesting. We've seen that Barnabas was sort of in the lead. That last time we saw a little more focus on Paul. Uh, when we, uh, the scripture brought us back to these guys, but now it's Paul and his party. Uh, he's really starting to, to take charge here and take the lead here. We saw that uh, on the island when they confronted Elymas, that Paul was the one who went, stepped up and rebuked him. And not that Barnabas was really there, wasn't really there, that Barnabas was, you know, uh, getting a coffee and he missed this whole opportunity here, that Barnabas was uh, not the same spiritual leader that he used to be. But God began to really move on Paul and began to bring Paul to the forefront um, in this situation. But we know that Barnabas, his name uh, really is uh, Joseph, um, uh, but that he was named uh, Barnabas or the son of encouragement or rest by the disciples that um, this was a name given to him. And I think that that's important to know that this man, his name given to him is really a reflection of the calling of God's a calling of God on his life. And that's the way all real titles are should be in the church not you know i did the memorial service last week and i got called reverend and father and i was like no uh, no you know it was like really awkward uh and you know my good friend mario says i can never call you reverend with a straight face <laughs> and i said that's good because i'm not reverend there's nothing reverend about me it's jesus who's reverend um but that's the thing here is that it's, it's not just the title he is the son of encouragement because that's the gift god has given him of encouragement that this man's calling in life is to encourage people to come to know the Lord, but also is an encouragement to the body of believers. And I think we all, hopefully we know someone who is like that to us in the faith that we might give a name, uh, son of encouragement. But I think that he continues to keep this role, even though Paul seems to be taking the lead here, that Barnabas is such a man who's after the Lord and not looking for that number one spot because he's like, he knows his calling. He knows his giftings and he's not worried about his own spotlight. He wants to Follow the Lord, and if that means that God's going to raise Paul up and he's going to encourage Paul, then, then so be it. Um, I think we all need to be that way, that when God begins to, to use people around us, that, man, we would support them and support each other as a body, an equal body. Um, you know, I hope to see God do something great in this region. I hope to be a part of what God does in this region. But if God decides to use another group of people or calls me somewhere else or even calls me just to do something else here, 
man, I hope that I get to, to keep that mindset and that encouragement. I hope that we all can. That, man, if we never grow bigger in this living room, praise God. If God begins to do something two blocks down the street and he begins to bless that and use that, then, man, praise God as long as uh, the gospel would go out. Um, but we see here that they go from Paphos to Perga, uh, Perga Pamphylia. Uh, Paphos is where they were in the first 13 verses of uh, chapter 13. Uh, you know, if you have Israel and Syria and Turkey and then you have the Mediterranean, this is my PowerPoint map presentation here. Uh, and then uh, Cyprus is here. Uh, Paphos was the southwestern corner. So they're here. Um, and that's where they were. That's where they encountered the, the sorcerer. But they take a trip up to the belly region of Turkey. So they kind of go north up from Cy Cyprus to Turkey. Um, and it was a coastal city. Um, but that's where they go. And as they get up to there, John Mark departs and goes back to Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to see what Paul and Barnabas do from here. But it says here that, that John departs to go to Jerusalem. And this word depart um, is used several other times. Uh, it, Jesus says, depart from me, you wicked servant. It also says, uh, an evil spirit departed. But it's also used here. And they don't say much what happens here. They just say that he departed. And I get a, a real sad connotation here. I don't necessarily get a bad one per se, uh, but I get a sad connotation here. You know, Paul has been known to call out in scriptures people who have done him wrong or done them wrong. You know, Mark this guy, don't do this guy that did me wrong. But he doesn't say anything about John Mark here. He just says they departed. I mean, I know Luke wrote it, but there, there was nothing else stuffed in there other than he departed, you know. Um, there's some verses in Acts 15 that we'll get to uh, in a few weeks if the Lord doesn't come back. That um, after some days, uh, Acts 15:36, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, "Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing." And Barnabas was determined to take with them John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And the idea here is that, man, we'll probably talk about it a little bit more in a couple weeks, but something happened here, and he didn't want to go forward with them anymore. Um, maybe he was lazy. I don't know. Maybe he had other plans. Maybe he wanted to get married or he's engaged, and, you know, he got a text message. We haven't gone to the movies lately, and he had to go back and take his fiance date. I don't know. That's probably not it. Maybe he was scared. And maybe after that experience with the sorcerer and Paul's there, and he says, you son of the devil, and blinds the guy in the, in the power of God, maybe... This freaks him out a little bit. Maybe this isn't the missionary journey he expected it to be. Um, maybe he was just homesick. I mean, you know, some of us have traveled or moved away. You know, this is our first real time moving away far from family. It's really easy to get homesick and go, why am I here? Well, you know, maybe that's what it was. Maybe he was a young guy too, a younger guy. So maybe, maybe these things were really weighing on him. And maybe he was burning out or wasn't ready. I don't know. Does, I don't want to make any calls on this because... The Bible doesn't, and the Bible doesn't say anything bad. It just says that he departed. But obviously that there's um, an issue here. There's an issue here. But we see, you know, maybe it was also Paul's in the lead. And maybe he just wasn't really happy with that. Maybe he, Barnabas was someone that he wanted to be in the lead. Um, but man, nothing can really be more heartbreaking than someone turning back or turning away, from, turning away from you or turning away from the Lord. You know, you have friends that, you know, you grew up with, like we talked about last week, and they end up falling away from the Lord or turning back. You know, you're doing so well, and then for some reason they turn back. Um, I think also nothing can be more of a letdown than someone leaving you hanging, especially in ministry or departing you. You know, maybe you guys set out to do some work together, and halfway through it, they just say, yeah, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And you, you just know that it's just not the best thing. It's not the best thing. And it's not that you necessarily say, hey, you should be here by my side. You promised me, but you go, you're missing out on what God is doing. And and I wish you would stay um, or deserting you. I'm sure we've all been that person once or twice in our life, uh, whether it's in ministry or in a friendship. And I'm sure it's happened to each of us. But I pray that, man, we wouldn't turn back uh, when times get hard. You know, we were talking about yesterday, Mary and I, about, you know, that's the, the great falling away really is happening. That we see people turning away and falling away all the time to different doctrines or even just from the front lines because it's hard. And, and that's one verse I've really been holding on to tightly uh, is that verse that Paul gives to Timothy about endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Not that my life is really hard by any situation, but that I would never turn back because things aren't as fun as they used to be in a season or as uh, the same as they used to be or there's opposition or whatever the case may be that I may press on because this life isn't it. But I'm not saying that this was necessarily John Mark here. I mean, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but 
I think we need to consider these two verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 10.26 says, As vinegar to the teeth and as smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. That man, you know, you, maybe you're a boss and you've got something that needs to be get, get done and you send a lazy guy to go do it and it doesn't, doesn't get done. It's like, oh, that burning feeling of smoke in your eyes. You know, we had some smoky jerky at work the other day that literally tastes like, it was like, you know, you go camping for the whole weekend and your clothes reek of smoke. It tastes like that. It was awesome. But, you know, it gets in your eyes and, oh, you know, it's like just kind of makes your eyes water and gets under your skin and oh, I have to go do this now. Or Proverbs 25, 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. You know, that confidence of I'm going to go bite into something and you bite into it really hard, then ow, sharp pain in her. Uh, foot out of joint, you know, you're walking or you're hiking and then you hurt your ankle or you go to step and it hurts really bad and you have to kind of limp. And that's the same way when we put our confidence in someone who's unfaithful, it's the same way. We, we expect to be walking at a certain pace. We expect to finish our dinner and chew on both sides of our mouth. But we can't anymore. We have to be very careful and cautious and we're kind of handicapped because we've relied on someone who's unfaithful. And I pray that that would not be um, um, any of us. But really, don't turn, your, don't turn back for any reason once you've put your hand to the plow. You know, once we start putting our hands to the things of the Lord, we need to continue forward in them until our master would say otherwise. But again, we may talk a little bit more about this issue between these guys uh, in a few weeks. But really... Let's, let's keep going forward. When God calls us to do something, keep going forward. And see you guys. Um, but they go from Perga to Antioch, Pisidia. And this was to the west uh, of Pamphylia was Lycia. To the north of Lycia was Pisidia. So they kind of went north and west to where they're from. D.C. is Pamphylia. Rockville is Antioch, Pisidia. Uh, it's not the same Antioch as far as I know. That was in Syria in the beginning, so they're not really backtracking here. They're going further up into Turkey. But this says that they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And we know that uh, for an area to, to have a synagogue, if there wasn't one in the area, 10 Jewish men of Mitzvah age will start it. I believe it's still law, um, you know, Jewish law to this day. But it says that they had this reading of the law and the prophets. So they were there and they heard the, the scriptures. They wanted to know what the scripture says. They were interested in, in, in the Bible there. Um, but that afterwards, they said that they were open to exhortation. They were open to an exhortation. Hey, if there's anyone in here who has a, has a word of exhortation, has something they want to share that, that they know about the scriptures, that this would be a good time to do it. And this word exhortation is a calling near or a summons, uh, especially for help. It's an admonition, an encouragement, a consolation, a solace, a refreshment. Um, you know, the rabbis even called the Messiah the consoler, the comforter, that they were looking, in a sense, for the Messiah in the scriptures. They were looking for, in a sense, a comfort in the scriptures, even if they weren't necessarily directly thinking about it. They're looking for an exhortation from the scriptures. And what exactly is the, the exhortation of the scriptures? That there's Messiah, that a Messiah is coming, that that is really the, the root of the scriptures. And they were seeking that refreshment from God. And, and man, when we come to the scriptures, there needs to be a refreshment from God there. I mean, maybe my message isn't very refreshing. Maybe my voice doesn't sound very refreshing. But man, I hope that there's some scripture that you can take away today that's going to refresh you. But Paul stands up, and I picture it right away. As soon as the guy, as soon as one of the leaders, one of the rabbis, maybe says, "Men and brethren, do you have any word of encouragement?" I think Paul's like already halfway out of his seat as uh, as this is going on, and no time was wasted. You know that this is it, and I believe it's because Paul was prepared through prayer for these opportunities. That Paul was ready to share the gospel at the drop of a hat. That he wasn't really sitting on his hands. I mean, we've all kind of been there, maybe in the prayer meeting, and it's open up to prayer. Or does anyone have a word to share? And we all kind of sit and look around and, and maybe we know we're supposed to share something or we know, but we don't really want to be rude and jump in front of anyone. And, you know, maybe someone else is better if they pray first or they share first. My word's not as good or whatever, whatever the feeling is. Paul doesn't have that here. He just, he's ready. He knows he's got something to share. Uh, and he goes, and it, it's, it's an open door here. It's an open door. But he says, men of Israel and you who fear God and that's he shows really two distinct people groups here that those who by birth were there in the synagogue those who maybe they fear God also but maybe they're just there because they're there it's, it's their culture it's what they do it's their religion but it says in those who fear God you know these other people that maybe not were Jewish that were Gentiles who were seeking the living God were there we see pictures of that throughout the the, the scriptures but they don't have that birthright and I wonder when we come to church we come to God, which are we? 
is that we've just been a Christian all our life or just been a Christian for so much time. Are we just checking the box off when we come to church? I don't believe anyone here is doing that. But um, man, sometimes we might fall into that trap of, oh, I'm just going to do it this week. I'm just going to listen to this message. I'm just going to go to Christmas Eve service. And, and we kind of miss out on the opportunity to hear from the Lord and truly be exhorted by the scriptures. But we see this other group of people that were truly seeking God out of a fear for him. And I hope that when we come to the church, we come even deeper than that, just to the word of God in our own time, that we're truly seeking God out of fear and not just to check off a box. And sometimes that's hard first thing in the morning to really want to be ready and seek the Lord and not just check off the box of devotions. But man, that we would seek him um, and hear from him. Uh, I'm just going to crack this open a little bit. Love for sharing here. <clears throat> we see that and I hope that that's us when we come uh, to the word that we would seek God out of fear I mean I remember first getting saved I know that was me and I could look at other times in my life and I go that probably wasn't so much me anymore let's go on in verse <clears throat> 17 uh, Paul says the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people uh, when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time, for about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed uh, their land to them by allotment. And after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. So Paul knows this stuff here. In verse 21, And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David a king, as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. And John had first, after John had first preached, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Verse 25, And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. And we'll stop there for right now. But we see that Paul gives this discourse and he says that God chose their fathers. As the Jewish people, God chose their fathers that he exalted strangers. He exalted strangers here. Now, this is real foreshadowing, guys. We look at the scripture that this is truly foreshadowing, that strangers would be exalted to know God. You know, Abraham didn't know God. God revealed to Abraham and called him out of Iraq, basically. Called him out of his culture uh, to be the father of a nation that didn't yet exist. Moses was... Yes, he was born an Israelite, but he was raised in Pharaoh's household, like we looked at previously. He was totally in Egyptian culture. And then God begins to move in his heart and show him the plight of his, his people. And God begins to call him out and work in him. And he didn't know God prior to that. We see the disciples, they're about going about doing their business. And Jesus calls them, hey, hey, come to me, come to me. He calls strangers all the time. And even Paul, what a more stranger to God than the one who was killing the church, and yet God calls him out and begins to use him. And I think that so often God turns to those who do not know him, and he reveals himself to them. And as we'll see, because the people called by his name, really, are too busy doing other things and believing other things. But it says here that God put up their ways in the wilderness. And the time would soon be up for the, the, Israelite, the, the Jews. And there's people today who believe that God's totally done with Israel. It's not true. Scripture is very clear. God's not done. Even though God's, I, you know, in a way, his focus is on the Gentiles. So the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And then sort of in the tribulation, the real focus turns back to the Jewish people. I don't even really necessarily think that, knowing the heart of God, knowing that Israel is the apples. I believe God is intently working on the, the Jewish people today, but using the Gentiles, as we'll see, uh, a way to provoke them to jealousy. But God has a plan for them. And, and hey, they kept turning. They kept turning. The Messiah came. The gospel keeps going out. This is, you know, 20 some odd years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Still reaching to the Jews. 
until we'll see here that maybe, you know, this time is the, the focus begins to shift a bit. But he says that he destroyed other nations to make room for them. And that's not very politically correct. You know, God would come in and destroy these pagan nations. God gave them opportunity as well. But he sees here that uh, God gives them judges. Eventually God gives them a prophet, Samuel. And when God gave them a prophet, they still weren't happy with God's uh, theocracy, so to speak. And so they asked for a king. They didn't want God's rule. They get Saul. Saul ends up failing, but God is still faithful and gives them David who David, we know, is a major failure in many ways. But what does God say? That even here, that he's a man after my own heart who will do all my will. And I love that, that a man after my own heart, what is that really? Is that a man who will do all of my will. It's not that we're perfect. It's not that we're sinless. But that there's this connection, this link between um, uh, God's heart and obedience. That man, when, when we love God and we, we're after his heart, we're coming in fear and wanting to know what his word says and we want to know what his heart is, even if we're, we know we're totally sinful. Because I know, I guarantee, the more we seek God's heart, the more we're going to realize how sinful we are and how much we need him and his forgiveness. But as we seek that, that there's this obedience that comes along with it, that seeking God and knowing him and doing his will are all related. And I love that. I hope that, that we would be people who would be after God's heart not only in seeking it, but that our hearts would become like his, but that also we would be ones who God could look at to do all of his will and not turn back and not flake out and not be vinegar to the teeth of our God. But we see here that God promises David through his seed a promise, the promise of the Messiah, as the scripture says, on David's throne forever. That God says through this man, David, who, yeah, failed, was after my heart, the Messiah is going to come and sit on his throne. And Paul says here that this baptism of repentance, that John the Baptist who came before Jesus, who ran his course before Jesus, that this repentance was for all of Israel. That John the Baptist's ministry was really to get all of Israel to turn back from their ways, from their idolatry. Why? Because the Messiah was here. It was time for the Messiah. It was time for them to turn back from their spiritual wanderings, the 400 years of not having any word from God and turning back to him. But John finished his course. Uh, why? Because it was time for the Messiah. And his course really was finished when Jesus was baptized. That's when Jesus' ministry really kind of came and took over there. And I think of finished courses. You know, you finish your course at the big meal, and then dessert comes out. Uh, but really, it was time to pass the torch to Jesus. But again, as Paul begins to kind of finish up this little uh, message and kind of lead into more of the application of it and uh, another section of it, again, he calls out, to these two distinct groups of people. He says, the family of Abraham and those who fear God. And again, John the Baptist, uh, when he was baptizing towards the end of finishing his course, we know in Matthew 3, he says, brood of vipers, the Pharisees, who told you to repent? You know, that God can make sons of Abraham out of stones, you know, and he's thoroughly going to clean out his threshing floor, it says, and gather the wheat into the barn, that this was coming. God was warning this is already coming. You guys want to keep resisting God? Well, just because you're Jewish doesn't mean anything. You know, yeah, it's great. You know, I think it's I think it'd be really cool to be Jewish and a believer because it's like it's like everything in one package. You know, the rest of us are grafted in, as we'll see. But really, that we can't just rely on that to be our shelter. We can't rely on a heritage or that we've grown up in church. And my kids can't rely that they're pastors' kids for their faith. They really need to rely <coughs> on Jesus. That, but again, that there's this difference between wheat and chaff, between real wheat and stuff that just kind of looks like wheat, and you need to kind of get rid of. Uh, but let's go on to verse 29. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And he, has, he was seen for many days by those who came up uh, with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings. Uh, that's very Christmas-like, right? That promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled for us their children, uh, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore he also says in another Psalm, You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served uh, his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he... Speaking of Jesus, whom God raised up, saw no corruption. And we'll stop there again. 
It says that they had fulfilled their part in God's plan of redemption, and that was to crucify Jesus. It says that they fulfilled their role, which was crucifying Jesus, and that's kind of an awful role to have. You know, I don't know if you guys ever were in drama club. I wasn't, but, you know, you kind of, I'm sure you seek a good role, or maybe there's some opportunity being passed out of work, and you're kind of hoping to get the good role, and that's not really the role you want in God's story is the one to crucify the Son of God. That's probably the last one we want to take. And yet we see here that this is exactly their role. And, and I'm sorry to say in a way, but that's exactly our role. Our, our only role in really the gospel was being someone to crucify Jesus. And from there to accept his, his word and accept the gospel and be changed and be an example of God's love. But really, what do we do to earn salvation? Well, we crucified Jesus. Um, and they say that we put him on a tree, that they put him on a tree. Um, you know, Numbers 21, uh, it talks about if someone's on a, uh, well, Numbers, sorry, Numbers 21 talks about uh, when uh, Israel was out doing their own thing, and they became, it says that they were very discouraged in the way, and they began to grumble and complain, so God sent fiery serpents among them, um, and they were dying, and God told Moses to put a brass serpent on a pole, and when they just looked at the brass serpent, this judgment of God on a pole of sin, uh, being judged on a pole, that they could turn to it and be saved, and that's what happened. Um, and that's what we really need to remember, is that our judgment has been taken. That Yeah, we're the ones who, in a sense, put Jesus on the cross. That was our role. But man, our judgment was really taken, and there's only one way out of that judgment, and that's to put our faith in it, that it was taken. You know, Galatians three thirteen through 14 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That man, that Jesus is the one the Scriptures were talking about. Jesus is the one, uh, the Messiah that was promised uh, to David and everyone. And that's what his argument is here. They looked at the Law and Prophets, and Paul began to expound and say, this is what the exhortation of the law and the prophets really is. But verse 30, to touch back, says, but God raised him from the dead. And that's the difference. That's the difference is that Jesus was uh, raised from the dead. You know, if we look at all other religions, we look at even uh, Christianity or even our doubts and, uh, and things of that nature, we see that the difference is the resurrection. You know, we could probably doubt all day long and have arguments all day long about seven days of creation versus gap theory versus even evolution, if you want to get into that. Um, or was this really written then? Was it really written by them? Is it fallible, infallible? All these other arguments. Maybe we just have doubts. Is God really working in my life? Does God really love me? I think all of those are solved if we remember, like we did in communion, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we can have all these other arguments all day, all these other doubts all day, but when we think on the cross, we remember who Jesus is and what he did for us. It really kind of solves all those other things. It really kind of puts all those other things into perspective. Um, you know, that that's where our faith is. You know, we looked at in the first message in Acts, these many infallible proofs, all these proofs that Jesus is who he says he is. But really, it's the resurrection, you know. We probably said it a million times, like Paul said. If it's not for the resurrection, then we're the most pitiable of all people because what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And that's what he wants to show them, that although David fell into corruption, there was one who never saw that corruption. And there is a corruption from sin that we all see. You know, we look at the world, you know, someone uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even the world groans. The world's groaning right now for a political savior. The world's groaning right now for saviors from everything. But you, you look at someone who's lived a life, a hard life, we might say, they just kind of look older. They lived a very sinful life and they look older. You know, you see those like effects of uh, crystal meth Someone who's like 20 and then six months of use and then a year of use and they look like 50 years old. It's the effects of this drug on their body. It's the same way with sin. Sin has this effect on us. I'm not saying if you look old that you're a dirty round sinner. You are, but so are we all. But these things that can have this effect on our life, that this corruption is already in the world because of sin. It's already taking place. We already need to take a shower. We already need to brush our teeth because there's this corruption going on. But even more than that, there's a corruption of death. That this word corruption is about the rotting uh, the body in the grave. And that even though David had the promises of God and was after God, he still died. He still saw the grave. But he says, we declare to you that the promise is fulfilled by God. That, that Jesus was raised up to begin with just to be on earth. But also that he died 
and he was resurrected and he was brought to heaven that God fulfilled this fulfilled this um, you know they use he uses their scriptures he quotes Psalms and Isaiah here uh, to point to Jesus you know obviously New Testament's not written yet Acts won't even be written yet for another 15 or so years so Paul's using the scripture that Jesus is there it's not something made up in the New Testament that he's there throughout all the scripture but he says that there's no more return to corruption and that's what the law did. It totally brought corruption. It totally brought a return to it. You know, every week you go to the temple and have to offer up a sacrifice for your sins. You go out and stub your toe and say a bad word on the way out of the temple and you have to go kill another pigeon or something. Whatever the law was, there was always this continual corruption of death and decay that you constantly had to deal with. But Paul's saying here is that there's no return to that. There's no repeating uh, sacrificial need for a sacrificial system anymore. That there's a release from that war. Um, you know, that word corruption can also mean destruction. It's also destruction. You know, our lives have been so corrupted by sin sometimes. What comes out of it? Destruction. You know, we look on someone's life who's being totally destroyed and we might think, oh, look, God is judging them. I don't know. I don't know that God's judging them. I feel like God is allowing the destruction and corruption of their sin to be played out in their life that they might turn to him. Um, and he totally wants them to be free of that corruption. Um, you know, judgment will come one day, but Jesus came right now that we might be free of that judgment. Not that God doesn't judge sin, so to speak, and say this is right and wrong, or not that as children of God we won't be disciplined, but really that, man, sin is corrupt. And if we play around with sin even for a little bit, it begins to kill things. It begins to kill our relationships and kill our joy and other things because it's, it's corrupt. It's, it's, you know, it's that bad apple in a bunch. But he says here that the sure mercies of David. And again, I think that just like God didn't plan for David to be dead in the grave forever, God planned to bring this promise through David's life that he had these sure mercies, that even though David messed up, God would, would not let that corruption stay forever on David because David saw God. David was allowed to continue being king. David was allowed to gather things for the temple, even though he couldn't build the temple himself. God didn't let that corruption reign on his life. And man, if there's something in our life that we've been so corrupted by, and so destroyed by, know that God wants to free you from that. Yeah, maybe you'll never be able to be all that you can be in the Lord's army, you know, whatever. But God does not want you to be buried under that corruption forever. We're still alive. As long as there's life, there's hope. And even more than that, God has power over death. So even if there's been a death in your life, God has power over that. I mean, it says that God has power over death. If someone dies in your family... There's still an opportunity, I believe, as the scriptures say, for God to raise them from the dead. Now, am I going to put all my eggs in that basket and say that's definitely going to happen? No, but it doesn't mean that God won't do it. God's done in the scriptures. He's done in the New Testament. There's really no reason why he wouldn't do it again uh, today. Um, but ultimately, we know that we're, we're free of that corruption for eternity. Um, even if we may die, we know that we face a resurrection one day. But 2 Peter uh, 1, 1 through 4 says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given uh, to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That corruption breeds more corruption. You know, I won't read it, but there's an article you can download the notes to get the link if you want that looks at um, an examination of all this data over years that, man, if you're around people with a bad attitude, you begin to get a bad attitude. And that, in fact, it's even more, happiness does the same thing, but that bad attitudes are far more infectious. Um, around you know at work you know maybe everyone's complaining and you start complaining you go why am i complaining but it says that he served his own generation david served his own generation i love that and i think that's a call to us that david lived his life and he served his own generation you know our lives are short and we need to serve our own generation uh, as the lord would you know the grass withers and the flower fades you know we think about our kids growing old we were talking about the other day and we're getting old too and one day we'll all be old, and if the Lord doesn't come back, we'll all be dead and forgotten. <laughs> you know, maybe on earth, but, but not in heaven. But let's go on. Let's uh, pick it up in verse 38. Uh, Therefore, let it be known uh, to you, brethren, that through this man uh, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things uh, from which you, uh, you could not be justified by the law of Moses. 
excuse me, I'm having a hard time reading today, but beware therefore, lest what has been spoken and the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work in which you'll by no means believe, uh, though one were to declare it to you. We see that uh, there's a forgiveness of sins. You know, uh, in the devotion this week that I shared in, in the email, it says, we trample the blood of the Son of God underfoot if we think we are forgiven because we are sorry for our sins. The only reason for the forgiveness of our sins by God is the infinite depth of his promise to forget them. It is the death of Jesus Christ. Our repentance is merely the result of our personal realization of the atonement of the cross of Christ, which he has provided for us. And that's Oswald Chambers. Uh, but man, by him, everyone who believes is justified. Everyone. You know, the law of Moses couldn't do that. The law of Moses couldn't do that. You know, Paul says here that beware lest you. You know, we think of the signs like beware of dog. Or you get that alert on your phone, beware of flash flood or winter weather advisory. Icy conditions ahead, maybe on the signs on the highway. Or you see people getting pulled over a lot. Sometimes you go, okay, I should probably definitely extra watch it because they're out today. And that's kind of what Paul's saying. You know, beware. You know, the scriptures give us plenty of warning about uh, people going the wrong way and, and what the consequences on their life is. Um, you know, he says, marvel and perish. And I think that, man, being astonished isn't enough. Being astonished isn't enough. You know, walking away sad from a message isn't enough. Walking away happy from a message isn't enough. Walking away just going, oh, that was a good exhortation isn't enough. We think of the rich young ruler. He walked away sad. He didn't, we don't know that he did anything about it. You know, because this exhortation of the scripture to Jesus Christ and to repentance and to new life must be applied through, through repentance and change. Ultimately, sanctification, that this must be worked out, our own salvation. Um, that it's not just good enough just to come and listen to a message. It's not good enough just to read the Bible. It's not good enough even just to do the Christian life, but really that, man, we need to be changed uh, by God. We have 10 more verses in only a couple of minutes, so we'll see how far we get through it. I'd like to, to, to bang it out if we can. But verse 42 says, So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that uh, these words might be preached to them in the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews... And devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, that's so interesting, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was uh, being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women, and the chief men in the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. We see here that after this message from Paul, the Jews go out. The Jews are like, all right, thanks. They kind of go their way. But the Gentiles hang back and they beg for more. They beg for more. They say, hey, can you come back, please? We want more of this. We've, this is what we've been seeking we wanted to know the truth of God, and here it is. Um, and I think it's really because they weren't there because of their heritage, their culture. You know, if you're a Gentile and you come into the, the Jewish congregation, it's because you really wanted to be there. Um, and they were hungry for the truth. You know, are we hungry for the truth? Like I mentioned, I first got saved. I come to church today. So hungry, just listening. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, you know, a couple of years later, maybe I'm on my phone. I'm sneaking Facebook. You know, whatever. You know, what am I doing? What am I doing? But, you know, are we now? You know, Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, when we come and we're hungry, the word of God, God's going to feed us something. You know, you come over for church. I hope that we feed you something. You, someone invites you over for lunch or dinner. You kind of go knowing that there's going to be something to eat. In the same way, when we come to God, we should know that, that he wants to fill us. But it says here that the congregation was broken up. And I think that there's nothing like the truth to split a group of people. 
you know, you're hanging out maybe on Christmas or at work or someplace where politics or religion or anything like that isn't really spoken, and then you begin to speak the truth about something, no quicker will you see the crowd divide or people get up to go get a drink. <laughs> but it says here that almost the whole city came together. And how'd they know? How'd they know? I think it's because they were told by the people. The Gentiles went out and said, you have no idea what we just heard at the temple today. Can you believe the scriptures? We're talking about the Messiah and the Messiah has already come. Uh, you got to come hear this message. And I think that today there are social walls that prevent these things from happening among our culture sometimes. You know, maybe it's Facebook or politically correct or we just don't interact with people like we used to. Um, we're not really a community like we used to be. But I'm really not convinced that God's not going to do that again in our, in our day, in our place. I'm not convinced that God can't still bring together a whole city. It happens in His Word. Just because we haven't seen it doesn't actually mean that it, He can't do it anymore. And I think we put these limitations on God. We say, oh, it can't happen again. Well, why not? Why not? But he says here that they were filled with envy. Yet again, just like Jesus and the apostles, and again here, you know, they were provoked to jealousy. And for time we won't turn there, but Romans 11, 7 through 25, Romans 11, 7 through 25, is really a good uh, complement to this area of Scripture that we're looking at today. That these people, they were provoked to jealousy. But it says that Paul and Barnabas grew bold. They grew bold here. They get this opposition and they grew bold and uh, they begin to, to share and, and be strong about what they have to say. That, yeah, this is what we believe. This is what the, more than that, this is the truth. Um, but it says that, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. They were rejected in their message. And they say, okay, well, you guys don't want to hear it. The Gentiles are hungry. We're going to give it to the Gentiles. You know, Matthew 7, 6 says, don't give what is holy to the dogs. Or cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you pieces. And sometimes a closed door is just that. It's a closed door. We begin to share the gospel with someone, begin to pray for someone, begin to reach out to them, and they don't want anything to do with it. Well, this doesn't necessarily mean that we don't stop loving on them and don't stop sharing with them. But sometimes maybe it is. Sometimes maybe that's just a closed door. And we say, okay, well, you don't want to hear it, but someone else does. You know, if you've ever been out evangelizing, you'll know that, that as you share with people, sometimes... Someone doesn't want to hear it, but then someone else totally wants to hear it. You're not going to go chase the person who doesn't want to hear it and miss out on the opportunity to give it to someone who does want to hear it. You know, uh, we can't really make people listen. I saw uh, uh, one of those, like, cardboard signs they stick in the ground for politics, but it was like a church ad off the highway, and it said, we promise we won't keep you long. And it had, like, ten dots. I was like, well, that's they're definitely not my church, but <laughs> the church I go to. But really, like... Uh, is that it? You know, we're just going to promise people we're not going to keep them too long. We'll get you in and out in 25 minutes. You know, okay, maybe you'll get you in and out in 25 minutes, but did you get the Word of God? Did you get time with God? But verse uh, 47 uh, says here that the Lord has commanded us, like we talked about the rhema Word of God. They knew what God told them to do, and that was, I've set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. They knew that this was God's calling on their lives here. And I love that they share it here. That they even say it to these Jewish people. They said, hey, God commanded us to go to the Gentiles with this. And man, we know that. We know that. But it says that the, the Gentiles glorify God. They glorify God. These people who are absolute strangers to God in a way glorify God. And the people who bore God's name didn't. And I think that, man, that's so often that's us. That's so often that's us. But it says that God's word spread as many appointed were believed and god's word spread you know that god's word begins to go out why because that's the way god wants it god wants his word to go out from here god wants it to escape these walls and escape us sometimes that we wouldn't be ashamed to share what the truth of god is and that's getting harder and harder uh to be bold in a sense um if you think about it in just certain work environments or personal environments um but it says here that they shook off the dust of their feet as they left. It says, and they're basically just obeying Jesus. Matthew 10, 14 through 15 says, And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. And surely I say to you, it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That God says, hey, if they don't receive you, fine, go on somewhere else. Keep going. There's more people out there to reach. Not that we're, you know, we wouldn't necessarily try it again one day, but if people aren't hearing you, that's on them. That's on them. You, it's only our responsibility to share the gospel and get it out there. And I think, you know, with family, sometimes that's really hard. We want to wake up, come believe. But 
It's just our responsibility to pray for them and love them and share the gospel. But they go on, they move on then to Iconium, and that's a modern day still city called Konya. That's the capital of this other area, north and east of Pamphylia. So they kind of went north and west, and now they kind of start moving back east through Turkey. But it says here that they're filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And they go hand in hand. They go hand. You gotta, you're going to have both. You can't really have real godly joy and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and not have godly joy. Even when the Holy Spirit begins to convict you of sin and you're upset, there's still this sense of joy there that, man, God's dealing with my sin. God's taking it away. That you can't have one without the other. And that's because sin is corrupt. Sin brings corruption. And when God begins to deal with that corruption, we begin to have life and we begin to have joy. But if we turn back to that corruption, if we say, I want to go back to my old life, or I want to go back to the bottle, or whatever it is, that corruption begins to seep in again, and we begin to lose our joy. Not that we're going to run around and be happy and smiling ear to ear all day. Hey, hey, my life is fantastic and fake plastic people, but that there will be this joy in our life. Even when times are hard, that man... Peace like a river, you know, that, man, as these hard times come, we would have this joy. You know what? And there really shouldn't be corruption in our life. There shouldn't be corruption like they stirred up the people against the apostles here, that this corruption, this deceit, because they didn't like what was going on. But there shouldn't be a corruption of sin and death in our lives. That as we begin to point out this corruption, as God begins to reveal corruption and sin in your life, we're able to be free from it. We don't have to live under the burdens of the corruption anymore. Yeah, maybe, we, maybe we'll have a bad back. Maybe we'll have teeth that are falling out of our head. Maybe we'll go bald. I don't know. Um, I hope I don't, Lord, please. But, <laughs> but really, that um, it, it doesn't matter. That The real corruption we can be free from is sin and death. That as we live our lives, we don't need to deal with sin. If we were corrupt for a season, if we're struggling with corruptness and sin right now, that we can totally get rid of it. That God can totally restore those years that, as the Bible says, the locust has eaten. That man, we threw away X amount of years, but God can do so much more uh, with us because we don't need to live under it anymore. We're not an addict, free for, been drug free for 72 days, 24 years. You know, I think it's great that people want to get out of those things. But man, I see Christians who were alcoholics get saved and they still consider themselves an alcoholic. I get it. But when you look at the scriptures, you're not anymore. I was alcoholic. I was a drug addict. I'm not anymore. I'm not a recovering alcoholic. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus, and I am free of that corruption. Yeah, could I theoretically turn back to it and fall back into it if I turn away from the Lord and don't rely on Him? Absolutely. But I, I'm not defined by that corruption anymore. I'm not defined by my old life anymore. I have a new life in Christ Jesus. Yeah, my, I have the same body, the same bad teeth, whatever. But I'm a new person, and so is each and every one of us in this room. We have that new life of Jesus Christ, that any corruption that we were bound by, we're not bound by anymore. We don't have to be bound by it. You wake up in the morning, and you feel the enemy beating you up for that sin last week. No, it's finished. It's finished. Amen? Uh, God, we thank you for your word, and that, God, you took our corruption upon you, and that, God, you saw no corruption, that even though sin was upon you and you died, God, you did not remain in the grave. You rose again, and you're in heaven, and... God, you're not corrupt. You have holes in your hands and your feet, Lord, but you're holy and you're majestic and you are life. And God, I pray that you give each and every one of us uh, that life, that Lord, the things that we feel corrupted by, God, and rightfully so because it's sin. God, would you wipe that away? Would you take it as far as the east is from the west and help us not to turn back to it? But God, the things that, that we don't even maybe do anymore, but we feel just weighed down and guilted by from our past, would you take those away too? And not that we would walk in self-righteousness and think, oh, I can sin and get away with it. But, man, that we would just have that new life free from corruption. That as we groan in our bodies of death, that our will die one day if you don't return. But that we would groan for that, that new life in, in you. And that we would live for that and, and press on and not turn back. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So God bless.